Welcome to DNA of a Dangerous Church. Get ready for powerful and practical insight on how to let the supernatural power of God loose in your life. Join your host and anointed guests for a crash course of equipping to release God's mighty authority, healing, prophecy, leadership, spiritual warfare, and evangelism. And now, your host, international speaker, author, revivalist, and prophetic voice, Pastor Ren Shuffman. Hello and welcome to DNA of a Dangerous Church. I'm Pastor Ren Shuffman and we have an exciting episode for you today. I am so excited to bring on my guest today, Dr. Kim Moss. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. That was quite the intro you had there. That's what was amazing. I love Thank it. You. Love I, the name of your show. I built it myself. I actually designed all that myself. So, and you saw, I had four guests that I showed on the intro video for you guys that are listening and, and not able to see it. My intro video has four guests that I show on there. And Dr. Kim Moss is one of them. So I'm so excited to have her on here. Otherwise I'd have to change my intro if I never had her on here. Uh, <laughs> false advertising. Uh, but she is a powerful prophetic voice. If you don't know who she is, let me just tell you what she means to me. Uh, I guys like I teach, train and equip the supernatural power of God all of the time. And one of the things about prophecy, as I've begun to be known for the prophetic voice and for prophesying at a high level, uh, I always say the same thing. I if you were to call me a superhero uh it's not my favorite superhero, but it's more true than not, is that you would probably call me rogue. Uh, because I just touch other people and absorb their superpower, right? Like that's that's my goal is whatever is leaky on your life. I want to catch that for myself. And so I really want to have those things come onto my life. And so as I begin to get around prophetic people, my statement has always been, I want to be super accurate. I want to have detailed information like Chris Reed. I want to prophesy as fast as Dale Mast, but I want to hit the heart of the person like Kim Moss does. Uh, and and so you really do not only do you, are you a prophetic voice but you really do every time i've heard you prophesy you've really spoke right to the secret place of a person and you really speak right to that that place where it says that's the one thing i need from god uh, and i love that and appreciate how you're looking for that do you have any clue why you do that is it something that god <laughs> does or is it intentional and we'll jump into your book in a second but that's my big question yeah i think uh I think it's because I really love God's people. It probably is because early on in my uh, calling, the Lord asked me to be a pastor for a time. And um, that really changed a lot of how I understand people because you walk with people, as you know, Ren, you walk with people day in and day out. You begin to see their lives and you begin to see what really what really touches their lives and will change them. Sometimes it's not just a bit of information. It has to go deeper than that. And, um, and I, and becoming a pastor, being a pastor for several years, it takes all the sort of the sharp edges off of your prophetic gifting. Sometimes we are, you know, we can be very black and white people and, um, and not always because not every prophet is the same and we still all have personalities, right? Um, but I have a tendency to be very, very direct speaker and uh, I have a tendency to really uh, see things black and white. And when I 
come in contact with an issue or a difficulty or a problem, you know, for me, it's just, let's just get this done. And let's, this is what's the problem and get rid of that. And working with people as a pastor, you come to understand that, um, they sometimes can't receive that like that. And it feels like punishment to them or, you know, uh, humiliation or condemnation, even if you don't mean it that way, you don't, you know, and, um, and so you start learning how to say things in sort of a different way. And, um, and so that all happened to me. But I think the thing that happened to me the most is that I just, I fell in love with God's people. I just fell in love with people. And so um, with that, and then of course, um, and Randy Clark will tell you the story because Randy and I are friends, you know that. And, uh, but I was in, I was in, uh, Brazil with him. I've been in Brazil with him many, many times, but I was in Brazil with him on this one particular trip and he was doing an impartation service like he always does. And, um, and he called me up with just a couple other people and he laid hands on me and a few other people. And I flew back probably three feet on my butt and I sobbed for three days and I received this impartation of the compassion and the kindness of the Lord uh, during that time. And that has really affected me. That's amazing. You know, I, I say that uh, different offices are different way. The apostolic and the prophetic very much are that direct kind of because they're speaking to leaders and they're speaking yeah. into nations, you know, and, and the shepherd is really the only one, the pastor, the shepherd is really the only one that has learned how to pour oil on the sheep's head and comb their hair. Like yeah. that's not the prophet. <laughs> that's good. So, yeah. right. Yeah. So not usually. When, when, when you spend a season shepherding, even though that might not be your office, but you send that season, it does soften you. So that's so good. And that's exactly what I talk about is the idea that love really is the center. When you, when you love God yes. and love others, the two greatest commandments, everything else flows. And we have, uh, in the prophetic, a lot of times we've had times where people have loved God, but not loved others very well in their gifting. And so you have such yeah. a good balance for that. So guys, if you're prophetic, then listen to what she just said right there. Now, with love is the topic. You can add something to that if you wanted to. Yeah, I do. I I was thinking about how when I was pastoring, one of the things that I that was really important to me is that, you know, we would have people come in to our church and and speak and do those kinds of things. And we would have prophets show up because, you know, when you start to um, when you start to really value uh, and prioritize the presence no of God. Are you there? Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, when you start prioritizing the, the presence of God in your church and uh, then, then supernatural things start to happen. And when that starts to happen, you start to have people come in from other places because they know the Holy Spirit is there and they want so much to touch from God. And so you even have prophets show up. We would have prophetic people show up. We would have speakers come in and really you know, unless you really have a, a love, not just for God, but for God's people, um, you you really shouldn't be prophesying from anybody's platform, you know, because because you can declare the truth without love. And that is damaging. That can be very damaging to people. We need to we need to declare both truth in love and the love of the father for whatever is going on, because if we use our discernment as a criticism then we're just we're just hurting people and oh we sound good and we oh we we can be popular and we can gain an audience you know um but we're hurting people and and god will hold us accountable 
for that. Love is, is the most important motivation for all the gifts. That's so good. Um, you know, and if you just read the scriptures, it's pretty plain, but a lot of times we read chapter at a time and we right. go from first uh, Corinthians 12 and then we get first Corinthians 13 and we separate those two. And we forget they all came together. He's spending right. all his time talking about the gifts of prophecy and, and all of this. And then he says, but if you don't have love, you don't have anything like the right. foundation is love. And so that's so good. So you wrote a book that is not fluffy. Okay, so we set this, we set the foundation of love. And I think that what you wrote in this book um, right here, oh, I just pulled out my place marker. Now I'm gonna have to read it all over again. The way of the kingdom. Okay, Uh, so I got this and instantly I was drawn to it. Let me tell you my experience when I first read this, because I think that we're going to get into this. It's going to be powerful. I got stuck on page one, quite literally. Um, And and there you really where I got stuck, what's crazy is, is you wouldn't expect it. I got stuck on the way you open this book. You just said, here's the whole scripture. I'm going to give it all to you. Let's just read this. So we have a fact. So it was very uh, education, right? It was just, okay, we're going to give you the foundational scripture and then we're going to go into it. So it wasn't even like you telling a story and I was reading it. And this is the honest truth. I got, I got to this part where where Jesus says to John the Baptist right here in Matthew 11, he says, uh, blessed is he who is not offended by me. And I just, yeah, it wasn't even your, your part in the book where you started to explain it. Holy Spirit stopped me right there. And I sat for 20 minutes talking to my kids. And my kid actually said to me, my 18 year old Eli, he looked at me and he says, you're never gonna read this book like this. Because I just stopped and started talking to him about this idea that blessed are those that are not offended by me. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And so, of course, as I read through, I think it was chapter two that you broke that down right at the end of one or two. I think it was two Two. where you started to talk about the idea of offense that John is, you know, he's in prison. He's saying, are you the one that we're waiting for? Or should we look for another? And Jesus comes back and gives him an answer and then says, Blessed is he who is not offended by me. And you broke that down and it was so powerful. Will you talk about that? Because when I read it, I'm like, man, I'm I'm so glad she hit on this because it was just bubbling out of my spirit. Yeah, this is a really important chapter. If we are going to really walk in the way of the kingdom in this time, uh, we have to deal with any offense that we have and not just against other people, but offense toward God, which is really what that chapter is all about. You know, in Matthew eleven twelve, we find that famous scripture from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And I think that we have we have thought about that passage of scripture um, isolated from its context. And it's in the context of that passage of scripture where John asks this very curious question. You think, well, John, wait a minute. Um, You're asking if Jesus is the one or if you should wait for another. You're the one. You're the one who baptized Jesus. You're the one who said, uh, this is the one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Um, this is the one you said, this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. And, and, and you're the one that said that, that the Lord gave you a sign that, that when you see this sign, you will know that this is the one. And you saw the sign at the baptism and you, you know, you know, we thought 
that you knew. And if, if John the Baptist can come to a place where he's not sure, wow, I just feel the Holy Spirit, where he's not sure if this Jesus is really the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the one God sent, the, the everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Mighty God that Isaiah is talking about in that passage of Scripture, then 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 who is this that I've been following? And, and maybe I've been deceived and maybe all is lost. And um, wow, I just feel the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't want to just teach. We want to impart. Hallelujah. I, Listen, I just, yes. Yeah. I, I Go just, ahead, Ren. I love, I love, I love that concept because we all come to a place where we've sold out for Jesus. You know, when we get to that level and we sell out for Jesus completely and we wake up one day and everything that we've sold out doesn't look like rainbows and clouds. It has not worked out even though we've sold out. That's and right. we have to ask ourselves, did we sell out to the wrong thing? Did we sell out the wrong way? You know, there's turmoil happening right now around the world. There are people in another country who are being dragged out of their house and suffering violence literally going through this moment today and i wonder how many of them are sitting in their house going lord did i sell out to the wrong thing how many of them need to have that moment where they're reminded that what jesus has actually done for them the deaf are healed and the the lame walk the 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 lepers are cleansed the dead are raised the demons are cast out and today i wonder if there's somebody reminding themselves of that scripture Mm -hmm. reminding themselves of the scripture. No, the kingdom of God suffers violence. This is a part of what has to happen to win territory. It's just true. It's just true. All is never lost because of Jesus. All is, all is never lost. No matter what is going on in your life right now, no matter, listen to me. I don't know who it is. That, wow. Listen to me right now. I am calling your attention right now. I'm calling you by name right now. Someone right now, you are contemplating whether your life is over and you are supposed to end your life because all seems lost. I'm telling you right now, there is never a final word until Jesus has the final word. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. He is the first word and the last word. The devil never gets the last word in your life never gets, they are not equal. They are not equal. And listen, sometimes we do wake up just like Ren said, we do wake up and nothing looks like it should be. Sometimes we wake up and, and a wife or a husband has decided that they don't love us anymore, that maybe they didn't ever love us and they're leaving us because they have a better offer somewhere else. Sometimes we wake up and there's been a false accusation against us at our job and we are going to be fired or let go and it's not right and it's not true and it's unjust. Sometimes we are under persecution in a place because we have loved Jesus and they hate Jesus and we are under the gun, so to speak, and we are being asked to choose. Are we going to stand faithful or are we not? I'm telling you, all is never lost and death has lost its sting. We should have no fear of death and suffering is part of the package, unfortunately, because it's part of the human experience. And whether you have Jesus or not, I'm telling you right now, look at me in my eye right now. I'm telling you, 
That whether you have Jesus or not, you're going to suffer warfare because there is warfare on the earth and there is violence on the earth. But if you have Jesus, you have everything you need and you have eternal life. And this is not the time to shrink back. This is not time to pull back. And this is not the time to take your own life. This is a time to stand firm and watch the salvation that he has for you because it's coming. Because it's come, because we are living in a time right now where Jesus is moving in a brand new way. And he is trying to wake up the church and shake up the church so that she can come into a higher level of authority and influence and impact. And I'm telling you right now, if you have come into a place in your life right now where you feel like everything that you have worked for is lost, I'm telling you, it is not true. It's a lie from the pit of hell and you have not seen what God will do on your behalf because he's going to move. He will move right now. You, you have no hope. You have hopeless. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God is coming with a fresh breath and give you mouth to mouth resuscitation of your hope. Right now, just receive it right now. Whoever that is right now, I break off a spirit of suicide off of you right now. I break the, the power of a spirit of death that has come over you, that is speaking into your ear. I forbid it to speak to you any longer right now in Jesus name. I speak life over you. I speak hope for a new day over you. I am telling you, look me in the eye right now. I am telling you. I am telling you right now, do not be offended with God anymore. Whatever is the unmet expectation that you've had in your life right now, this is not done. It is not finished. It is not over. Holy Spirit, right now, we just ask you to go and comfort your people. Just come right now. In your great love, in your great comfort, you are the compassionate and kind God. And I just release that right now over your people. And we speak life to invade whatever circumstance you're in right now. Oh, the effects of COVID right now in the name of Jesus. I just command healing over that. I command a reversal of every effect of COVID in your body right now in Jesus' name. Right now, right now. In the name of Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. You have something to add to this, Ren. I can feel it. Ooh, let me tell you my testimony for 10 seconds. Kim is hitting exactly on, on uh, the head. Last year at the OSI that Kim came and spoke at, our conference that we came and spoke at, my wife lost her job because she chose to be a part of that conference. She was persecuted for her faith and she was let go from that job, that moment, she had to make a decision. Does she attend the conference or keep her job? And th that man persecuted her and she lost her job. And we woke up and it didn't look like what we thought it was. We were told if you'll do the right thing, according to the Lord, the Lord will roar on your behalf. What roared to us at that moment was he'll defend her job. Everything will go well. Her job was why we could do full-time ministry without worrying about our finances. And we had a six month plan. 
so that we could be in full-time ministry to get her out of that job. And all of a sudden our six month plan was broken and busted and it didn't look like we thought it should look. And we were under warfare. We were under attack. There was violence happening in the kingdom of God. And I looked at my wife and she said, what should we do? And I said, this obviously is the plan of God. It's not our plan. We asked God to bless our plan. Why don't we just bless his plan? And so we moved forward. Do you know that since that day, we have not had a moment where we have been in financial lack. We have not had a moment where we were in decrease. In fact, all we've done is have increased. She made a good living and it was gone overnight. And the Lord showed up and transitioned us. He showed up and showed off. And I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to look exactly like what you think it has to look like. It just has to be heaven. It doesn't have to look like your plan. It just has to be his plan. And I'm telling you right now that God wants to shift you into a to a mindset where you understand that when it's safe is not always heaven, that any ground you take away, like Kim talks about in the book, anytime you go and try to take a promised land, there's usually inhabitants in the promised land. There's always going to be resistance to your revival. You want to be revived. The definition of revival, another word for revival is warfare. Okay, you want to bring to life that which the enemy has killed. He's going to fight to keep his trophy. And some of you need to recognize that warfare does not mean you're out of alignment of God. It means you can be right in the lane. And so I believe that right now, some of you guys need to put on your battle armament. There's a reason why God gave you armor to wear. Some of you think that if you are in warfare, something is wrong. Pray for me. I'm under attack. No, you're advancing the kingdom of God. And anytime you're advancing the kingdom of God, you're the one starting the warfare many times. You don't recognize it. You're praying. You guys that are going, I'm praying for revival. Do you know what you're praying for? You're praying for war. You're asking to start a fight. That's what you're doing. Hallelujah. Yeah, there's, there is never, listen, there is never a breakthrough without a breakdown first. So when you start praying for breakthrough in your life, you're going to see some things break down because change usually involves leaving something to add something. You know, we we sometimes we think of revival. Ren, you know this. We think of revival as, oh, I'm going to I'm going to go to conference. I'm going to fall over under the power of the Holy Spirit and it's going to be so good. And and it is listen to encounter the Holy Spirit is a precious and holy thing. And oftentimes it brings this great joy and it's this high mountaintop experience. But then we have to enter back into our real lives with this encounter, continuing to to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit to to face usually some difficult things as as everything in our lives begin to change. And that's where we need to have endurance. We were talking a moment ago about about offense and not being offended with God. Blessed is he who is not offended with me, Jesus said. He says it to John the Baptist, who Jesus also said was the greatest of those born and the greatest of the prophets, the greatest of those born by a woman. He said, but the but even the least in the kingdom is is greater than John. But when he talks about offense, it's because John is in prison and he and he didn't think this is how it would end. He didn't listen. It's not that he wasn't willing to lay his life down for the kingdom. That wouldn't be true of John. 
But what he's asking Jesus is saying, is this going to be worth it because I am suffering violence? He's also saying, wait a minute, I thought that you would set up your kingdom and you would put my nation back on top and there would be this political ramification. There would be this social ramification and that, and that all the religious corruption and the political corruption would be ended because you'd set up your kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, don't you see that everything is changing? But yes, there is warfare and violence that the enemy is bringing. You're suffering that persecution. Jesus knew John would still be beheaded, but he also knew that giving his life for the kingdom of God was not the worst thing that could happen to a person. And so the kingdom of God comes, but our expectations of how Jesus moves, of how he will, how, how he will meet us, how he will, how he will change our lives, how he will set up circumstances doesn't always look like the way that we think. However, he's already gone before. He's saying, don't you see, John, I've given you eternity. Don't you see, John, death has now lost his sing. Don't you see, John, that now salvation has come and people will be healed and people will be delivered and people will be saved. And even though we will sometimes pay the ultimate price, doesn't it say in Revelations, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, but we don't love our lives even unto death. Sometimes we will lay down our lives for the kingdom of God and it will be literal, not just spiritual. Um, we always spiritually lay down our lives, but it will be literal. And yet we gain the whole kingdom. Listen, this book and this chapter in particular and our lives are about the kingdom of God and the reality of that on the earth. We have forgotten somewhere along the way in the church that this life is temporary. We don't live only for eternity. We have to walk in the ways of the kingdom in this life, but this life is only temporary. We have an eternity with Jesus. And so, yeah, don't be offended with God. See, offense is a trap. What, what you learn when you study out the Greek and the Hebrew, all of those things, you learn that offense is a trap, but what it really is, it's a, it's an enticement, a temptation brought by the enemy to bring you into unbelief. And Romans in Romans, Paul says, if you enter into unbelief, then you will waver in your ability to endure to the fulfillment of the promises. Listen, all the promises of God are true. All the prophetic words that you have received that are from the Lord are true. And if you give up now and you shrink back, you will not receive those. Don't be offended with God. And, and that was probably my favorite part of that when you said offense was a trap. The Greek word literally means an entrapment like an animal would be like an animal trap. That's really mm -hmm. what offense means is an animal trap. And so by allowing ourselves to become offended, we're actually walking into the trap of the enemy. That's his, right. a trap. And, you know, I, I literally had that day that I read that chapter. I want to tell you how good God is. God can God doesn't always save you from your circumstances. He allows you to grow through them. And so that day, literally, somebody said something to me that was so offensive. And, and all day long, I played it in my mind, trying to not be offended at this statement. Yeah. And, and it took everything in me to not be offended. And I said, God, you are so good that I literally just read this chapter this morning. An hour after I read it, someone says something that was just ridiculously offensive to me. 
Uh, and all day long, I'm like, nope, not getting caught in that trap. Nope, I'm not getting caught in that trap. Nope, I'm not getting caught in that trap until I finally was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I'm going to push through this and I'm going to connect to that person anyways. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to minister with that. I'm going to, I'm going to go full steam ahead and I'm not mm -hmm. going to allow one phrase, one sentence to be the downfall of why I get stuck in a fence. And so it, right. it, it, it honestly, just that one paragraph helped me that day more than you can know. And it was just amazing how God does that. But one of the other things that I looked at when I saw that once we get over this idea of letting uh, things offend us because we want to be in unity and the enemy wants yeah. to bust apart our unity. He, he wants to break people apart. If he can offend us, he can split uh, us down the middle. And, and he's done right. a good job at that. He really has. Um, yeah. yeah. But when we talk about you said this in the book, you said revival looks like Gideon. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and so I have my own perspective on that based on my own experiences I've had. But what does that mean to you? Well, it means a whole lot to me, actually. And I just put a little bit of it in the book so that you could understand um, Gideon. Actually, the, the word Gideon, the name means chopping down to chop up to chop down. So uh, when that doesn't sound like <laughs> no. You know, uh, the Lord said to me one day, um, revival looks like something. I said, yeah, well, okay. You know, what does revival look like? You know, and, uh, and he gave me the passage in Gideon. And I, and I thought for sure, like most of us, you know, we, we've heard the story of Gideon many times. We've had many, many stories, uh, and, and sermons on Gideon in the church, you know, about him being the least and the smallest and not understanding who he is and the Lord coming and saying, uh, you know, mighty warrior. And he's like, what, who, me? You know, um, but Gideon, actually, when I say revival looks like something, it's about tearing down the idols and the idolatry and um, getting past our apostasy. And uh, apostasy really means where we have turned from our faith, the fullness of our faith. And what happens in Gideon is in the beginning of that story, you see that they are under they are under persecution from another country. They are being oppressed. They are all the all of everything they worked for. Their fruit is being stolen, you know, and we can apply that spiritually, of course. And um, but what happens is that they cry out to the Lord. See, it's a book of Judges. In the book of Judges, you have these cycles. And so they cry out to the Lord and the Lord sends them a prophet, you know, and they're like, oh, good. He's going to. And so the prophet gives them actually a word that that is um that is uh, in two parts. And the first part of the word is an indictment over their sin. And the second part of the word is what God's going to do about it. And, um, and it's a, a beautifully crafted word. And so basically the, the, he comes and he tells them, the prophet comes and tells them, listen, um, the reason this is happening is because you are involved in idolatry and you are apostate, you know, and so your testimony has lost its power. You have a disempowered testimony. And so, and this is what Gideon is coming up on. He's, he's the next generation. He's like, these are all just stories to me. I don't get it, you know, but God comes and, um, and, and meets him in a sacrificial, in a sacrifice that he, you know, Gideon thinks he's bringing food to a stranger and it turns out to be the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm, I'm the God of peace. And so God's going to give him peace so that he can go out and war and he's going to actually also clothe him with the Holy Spirit. Um, 
But what God is doing, see, his first assignment is not go out against the, the this uh, oppression on the outside. The first assignment of Gideon is to deal with the idolatry that's in his father's house, the yeah. idolatry that is in his community, the nation of Israel, who is the people of God. And so what God is basically saying is that the, the the enemy on the inside is more dangerous right now to the enemy on the outside. You can't fight the enemy on the outside until you deal with the enemy on the inside. And so I believe that we are in a time right now, we have been experiencing this last year and a half, a shaking and an awakening so God can show us here's the enemy on the inside. This is These are the things that allow for division. These are the things that, that, that disempower you and disempower your testimony. This, these are the things that leave you impotent and unable to influence culture on the outside. When you deal with these things, then I'm going to also give you peace. I'm going to clothe you with the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to be powerful to deal with the enemy that's bringing oppression on the outside, meaning those places outside the church. So on the inside, I'm talking about not only in our own personal lives, but also inside the church. Yeah. On the outside means outside our personal lives, in our families, in our workplaces, everywhere we go and outside the church. And so what does idolatry look like? Well, you know, idolatry usually are any any of the things that that take our attention off of God and we worship in place of God. So people will say, I don't, I'm not really, I don't, I, I don't really. Well, you know, I don't know. You know, sometimes we worship our sports a little more than we worship yeah. God. Sometimes we, we put our entertainment in priority in front of God. Sometimes we work harder and we have more ambition to climb the ladder at our jobs more than we are serving the Lord. And I don't mean that you have to be called to full-time ministry. I'm talking about your time and your attention and your resources when you prioritize the Lord in your life and you love him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. This is this is what I'm talking about. And this is partly what the book goes into. Yeah, I, I think that fear even reveals idolatry. I think yeah. that what you're afraid of, your worship, what you fear, your worship, that's uh, right. What you're most afraid of is the thing you think is the most powerful. So if you're That's more right. afraid of something than the fear of the Lord, if you have fear on something else, you're actually yeah. placing that above the Lord because you believe it has the most power. So there's a worship aspect to that. So a lot of yes. people don't even realize that. And, and the Bible talks about that process of revival. When you said that uh, revival looks like Gideon, I couldn't help. But all of a sudden that that was new to me. I hadn't heard that. But I began to break down the story of Gideon and my own experience. You know, our church is in what I would call the shallow end of revival. We're in Sunday revival. I could easily extend it and they would start showing up. But I'm waiting for them to be so hungry. They start coming at me if I don't. And but what happened was when when Randy Clark originally touched me in 2018, I went home and like a, I was laser beam focused. I went from a broad beam. I saw prophecy. I saw healing. I saw all that. But it was sovereign and it was through me. I couldn't train or equip it or give it away. And I didn't understand it fully. But when I came back in 2018 and everybody was getting healed, I said, that's it. We're going to break out in revival. There's going to be lines out the door. We're seeing dozens of people healed every Sunday. I mean, almost Amazing. everyone was healed. And I'm like, yes. And every time someone got healed, somebody left the church. 
we were a thriving church plant of 200 people in two years. So we, you know, in a, and started from a house church. We're not talking about, I had money in an organization. It was just a Bible study at my house. And in two years, it became 200 people, 10,000 square foot building. We're, we're going. And all of a sudden the power of the Holy spirit shows up and the room empties to 45 people. That's what happened. And when you said revival looks like Gideon, I started looking at that and I stopped counting numbers at that point. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to count the numbers. I'm going to count the hungry. I'm going to count the thirsty. And, and I said, it's one thing to be hungry. A lot of people are hungry for the Lord, but you can go 40 days without food. You can go 40 days without food. You're hungry, but you can go 40 days, but you cannot go more than three days without water. Thirst will kill you quickly. Okay. And so I said, I'm not looking for those that are hungry. I'm looking for those that are hungry and thirsty. And when I thought about getting, I thought about this idea that God kept saying, no, too many people. I want to dwindle it down. (laughs) No, too many people. No. Now show me who the thirsty are. Now give me just the thirsty because those are the ones that'll go and fight. And all of a sudden it was like, as I read that one line, it was like, I had this whole conversation with Holy Spirit in a blink of a moment. And I went, that makes sense revival is like Gideon. And I've seen it in my own church where God dwindled it all down, gave me the thirsty. And then we began to see victories and we've grown Mm. back now. And the people that are coming in are hungry and thirsty instead of just looking instead of just, well, I'm willing to show up. I got to go somewhere. So I got to check church off a box. We don't have those anymore. And we have people that will linger in the presence of God, five, six, seven, eight hours on a Sunday. No problem. Uh, and then they say, do we have any more? Can we do more? So God has really brought that revival and revival does look at Gideon. So I appreciate that perspective and that revelation from heaven that you had there. Yeah, How- I think I really think um, in the Gideon story, you will see um, that the idolatry on the inside is broken down and then they go to war and they win, of course, and push back oppression on the outside. Um I, I also believe that points to a holiness movement. I believe this. Uh, we are in the early throes of a of another uh, revival, awakening, move of the Holy Spirit, whatever that you want to call it. And um, and I I believe it will involve a holiness, a return to holiness, a return to the Word of the Lord, a return to the fear of the Lord. You see all of that in the beginning of of the Gideon passage. Um, and so there's there's all of those that you see an intergenerational sort of revival. You see the fathers and the mothers stand up. So in Gideon, when he goes to tear down his father's idol, um, there is a reaction because it says that it was his father's idol and and it was a community shrine. And so it had become an uh, an idolatry brought in by a leader and then worshipped in the community you know, because follow the leader. And so Gideon goes to tear down his father's, uh, his father's idol and the community comes together and they want to kill him because, you know, how many of us, you know, coming up in the church, you're a new leader and you begin to come up in the church and, um, and opposition comes against you from the older leaders, you know, sometimes because in moves of God, I don't know why this always is, but we see this in the history of moves of God. You have a new move of God coming and the last move, the leaders and the, and the, those involved in the last move of move of God, look at the new move and say, Oh, that's not, God wouldn't do things that way. Oh, God wouldn't use that, that new leader. Oh, you know, that young person is too young and they're not right. You know, all of these things. And, um, and yet what happens is this beautiful thing happens in Gideon. His father stands up his father, who's 
listen, it's going to cost him something. It's his father's idol. It's the father's bull that's slaughtered. It's the father's, so it's the father's resources that are being used. It's the father's reputation that is on the line. It's his father's uh, influence and authority that is being challenged by his own son coming up in his own household. So if you think about this in the light of a church, right? And a church leader. And so this man has an opportunity. What is he going to do, right? And he chooses not to not to uh, protect himself, but to, to protect his son, to protect that next generation that God is calling, who's had an encounter with the Lord now. And he's and he stands between the the community, the leaders, the elders and and his and his son, this young leader coming up who's had an encounter with the Lord and called by the Lord to tear down the idol within the house. And says, no, I will stand with him. He's heard from the Lord. And so what happens? He, the true father stands up. The true father comes out. And then there can be a linking, right? There can be a joining of the generations to serve in this next move. And I believe that that's, that's coming as well. So good. And, you know, the same thing happened with Abraham. He had an encounter with God and his father came along and said, yep, I'm going with you. So that that same exact thing. Also, yeah. the same Gideon story is mirrored in King Josiah. King Josiah rediscovers the word of God, calls for national repentance, tears down yeah. all the idols and God sustains the, the judgment that was to come. So you, you have that same paradox, that same paradigm happening multiple times in the Bible over and over again of the idols being ripped down, repentance coming in, and then a move of God and then a wave. So I believe we're in that and that's what's happening right now. And it is, it always, uh, it just kind of uh, uh, eludes me as to why the older generation or the, the previous generation are so resistant to the new move of God. I mean, I've never read a scripture that says, behold, I'm the Lord, thy God, and I do an old thing. I know. I don't remember that one. There's nothing wrong with some old wine. The Bible talks about the greatness of the old wine, but he wants to pour out new, sing unto the Lord a really old song. Like, I don't remember that scripture. So I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with some of those ones, but I'm saying that we're made in the image of our God. Our God is a creative God. He is a creator. He loves to see creation and he loves when his kids create. So he's always interested in what's been made. We, we don't take the, the Van Gogh out of the museum because we love it, but it doesn't mean we stop asking our kids to make new art. So there should be yeah. both in, in a proper move of God. There should be room for both of those things and both yeah. of them can be the Lord. Uh, both of those are powerful. Yeah, I think that um, I think that this would be a really good time for leaders uh, in the church right now, or leaders, you know, of a former movement. I I think this is why I love Randy Clark so much is that the man is so humble, and uh, and he's just so wide open to whatever God wants to do and embracing whether it comes through him or through another person. And, um, and I think that it's, it really is important as, as leaders and ministers, those who want to have a ministry, you know, check yourself, right? Check yourself, check your heart. Are you, are you harboring any insecurity insecurity will take you down, will take your church down, will take down a move of the Holy Spirit in your ministry quicker than anything. Because if you're insecure, then you feel like you have to be the leader you it has to be all about you your reputation and and you know all of this kind of thing and the the deal is is that it's about jesus 
whatever Jesus wants to do. Also, we have to check ourselves and see, have we gotten stuck in, in doing things always this way? And have, has our theology gotten stuck to, 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 to solidify around a movement rather than around scripture and the bigger picture about the, you know, the way, the way of the kingdom, the way God moves with his people. He's always doing something new, as you just said. And so it makes us, it makes us, it difficult for us to be flexible and to add. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, we're back to the offense, Ren, right? Getting trapped in offense when we say, so for example, um, I, I just finished a, a brand new message that I've never preached anywhere. It's about coming back to the heart of worship. And, and, um, but it's also about this particular thing that we're on right now. And, and about how in a, in a move of God, sometimes somebody comes up and, and we're like, wait a minute. I'm the one that's worked all these years. I have worked all these years for this. I have I have worked hard to come up in position for this. I have served in my church or this particular leader for all of these years. And now this nobody comes out of nowhere and gets the position that I think that I should have. Well, you know, check yourself, you know, because it's not about you. And um, and what that is right there, that right there is the trap. That is the enticement to unbelief and the enticement to be offended with how God is moving because you've worked hard, but just because see, that's, that's Western. We work hard. And so we should have that promotion, but the Bible says promotion comes only from the Lord. And, and he knows why he promotes certain people that we would think that they shouldn't, they shouldn't have that spot. I should have that spot. Yeah. Amen. My, my wife was literally passed over for a promotion because she was too good at her position. And the boss literally told her that I cannot lose you from this department. I have to hire two more to replace you. So you need to give me another year to hire people to replace. You. She was too good at her job. That That's the truth. So we don't always know why we're doing that, but you're right. The offense comes in and it's so dangerous. I am literally so grateful for the times in my life where I thought I was in the right position and I wanted that position in ministry and I was passed over and it did not come. And I look back now and I say, thank you, Lord, for sparing me because I loved those people and I would have stayed in that position. I would have stayed right there and I would have missed the great because I settled for the good. And that's dangerous. I want to settle for God, not good. Uh, A lot of times we think God and the devil are opposites. They are not. They are not (laughs) opposites. They are not opposites. Don't trade you know, God for good. Right. And, and Ren, you know, sometimes it's a test, right? I mean, you and I have been in the church leading for a long time, you know, and sometimes, sometimes it's not warfare. Sometimes it's a test from God to see how we're going to react. You know, I love, uh, Yoshebed, who was the mother of Moses, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite stories of women in scripture. And, um, but she, she has this beautiful baby who's going to become the, the leader of the nation. You know, he's going to become Moses, the great deliverer, the greatest deliverer of all time in scripture and, um, and a great prophet, you know, and, and she has him at a time when there is such persecution against God's people which she is one, right? And so she has to let go of Moses at three months old. He goes down the river in a boat and the princess of Egypt 
picks him up and says, well, I'm going to need I'm going to need someone who can nurse this baby, breastfeed this baby, basically. But she's going to be his mother. And so Miriam, of course, is watching and she goes to get her mom, who is actually the mother of the baby. But Yoshebed cannot reveal herself as the mother of this child. She cannot live out the role of mother of this child with the title. Instead, she has to serve this woman who is not his mother, who's going to take the title of mother over this thing that she has birthed, this baby that she has birthed. She's got to be humble enough to, to serve where she thought she was going to lead. She has to be humble enough to be the servant to this woman who doesn't deserve to be Moses' mother, but who God has chosen to take Moses in because he's going to do something in Moses' life that Yoshebed does not even understand or know, cannot see at this time. And she, she's got to make a decision to choose the life of this thing she's given birth to. Now I'm talking prophetically to somebody. Somebody out there, you have given birth to something and you thought you would lead it. But God is giving it over to someone else and it is painful for you. And you're being asked to serve it, to serve this thing still, but you don't get to have the title of leadership. I'm telling you, if you will be humble enough to serve where you thought you would lead, this thing is going to bring deliverance to so many people because God needs to bring into this, into that movement, something new. He needs to introduce something new through this other leader and no they didn't give birth to it no they probably don't even deserve it no but there's something god's going to bring through this in this way that you couldn't have brought through you so don't give up don't don't walk away don't wash your hands and say well that's not fair it's injustice listen this is a test it's a test are you humble enough to lead i mean to serve where you thought you would leave. Are you humble enough to serve a leader that doesn't seem to deserve it and doesn't, didn't give birth to this idea, this vision, didn't build it, didn't send it? Are you humble enough to do that? Because if you do, God will bring deliverance in ways you never understood to, pe to so many people that you never understood. It's far bigger than you understand. That was worth everything. That was so valuable. Somebody on this uh, broadcast needed to hear that word today. You may have birthed it, but someone else might have taken it over. And will you serve it for the betterment of everyone else? Can God raise you up differently? Wow, what a, what a powerful moment right there. Uh, Dr. Kim Moss, I'm so honored for you to come on here today. We're going to spend a few minutes with the people that are on here live, but I want you guys to grab her book, The Way of the Kingdom. If you want to grow in understanding the kingdom of God, and I think she just touches on the, the idea that the kingdom of God suffers violence so well, because a lot of times we just kind of say that and move on. And I think we've created spiritual pacifists. That is not what the kingdom of God is really about. And so I want you guys to grow. So grab her book. I'm sure you can grab it on Amazon. I'm sure you can get on. Where can they find you to follow you? Yeah, they can find me at KimMoss.com. And my last name is M-A-A-S. Oh, it's on the screen. And uh, so you can nice find me at KimMoss.com. You can find all about the book at thewayofthekingdom.info, I-N-F-O. And uh, that's a landing page for the book. You can buy the book anywhere books are sold, including on my website, bakerbookhouse.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those different play Christian, Christian bookstores. 
all of those different places. Um, you can find my first book, Prophetic Community, which will really ground you and give you a foundation in prophecy. And uh, I think it's a very important foundational book. And uh, and yeah, and you can write me at hello at kimmoss.com. We're so excited to have you on here. Guys, follow <laughs> up with that and we will see you the next time that we are on. I love you. God loves you. Shalom. Thank you for listening to DNA of a Dangerous Church. Be sure to subscribe to the show on CharismaPodcastNetwork.com or iTunes, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Follow Pastor Ren Shuffman on social media and join our mailing list for exclusive bonus training content at www.ffc.church/dangerous. slash